Hey, welcome to the Life 2.0 podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Glad to have you joining me from anywhere and everywhere around planet Earth. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor. Make sense out of the senseless, and if at all possible, find the obvious buried in the absurd. Let's get to it. Thanks for joining me one more time on the podcast. And uh, first and foremost, thanks to the subscribers who plunk down 20 bucks a month, five bucks a week, uh, 66 cents a day to keep this thing moving in the direction that it does. Hopefully it's in a forward direction, not backwards. Hopefully moving forward. Uh, I have some people, I uh, got a couple emails this week of listeners that started with me in 2018 and have never uh, left my side since that time. And I cannot tell you um, how good that feels to have people listening and supporting what the work that, that I attempt to put out into the world. This is a very, very strange business. Uh, getting into radio years ago, I never, ever could have imagined I'd still be actually doing this on some way, shape, or form. And of course, podcasting has changed everything. To go and sit into a radio studio and knock out a three-hour day live show is now old school. Everybody with a microphone or a cell phone can do a podcast. That doesn't mean they should all be listened to, which is a different show. I have a couple thoughts about that for a later date. Uh, but it is a, it's a pretty crowded space. So thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and thank you for those people who, who financially support the show. It's much appreciated. So interesting morning here. Um, a very loud noise woke me up about 4.15 this morning, only to find out the power had gone out, and a transformer had apparently blown in the neighborhood here. Within about 20, 25 minutes, a truck pulled up and uh, spotlights were on and they're looking for the all the parts and things like that. A guy got out and he started dinking around with it. And at one point I walked out in the yard. I didn't want to scare the guy because it was still kind of dark out. So I kind of made a lot of noise, rattled in the door and said hi and this and that. And, and uh, he wanted to know if I thought it'd be okay if we, he, they came back with a truck because he couldn't reach whatever he had to do uh, with a, like a bucket truck to get there and, and take care of that. Uh, and if he thought I could go to the neighbor's yard, they'd pull through if they'd mind. It was like quarter to five in the morning. And like well, I don't think they're going to answer their door. So in the end, uh, another truck did finally show up. Three other guys came. And it's fascinating to me, in all the technology that we have, you still need to have guys come out in trucks with hats and lamps on them and ropes and ladders to climb up and go take care of stuff that, um, you know, in the 21st century, that they've been doing it that way since like forever. So it was kind of interesting. Uh, I sat here for about three or four hours uh, in the dark, kind of quiet. I turned on my computer and I was able to do some editing on a couple projects that I'm working on for people. And then I was listening to some audio of the, uh, the shows I have coming up tomorrow uh, at uh, 10 o'clock central time on newworldradio.com. I've been doing this music show called The Dow of Music for about six months. And it's a great diversion for me. I am in no way, shape, or form considered a disc jockey or a digital jockey because there's no discs anymore really on the radio. And uh, But I have a chance to do that and, and, and have a little bit of fun with it. And I, I enjoy music and I enjoy the stories behind the songs. So I do that and kind of review that one that's going to air tomorrow, hopefully, and what we're going to do with it. And then uh, at 1 o'clock Eastern time, Jennifer Weigel and I do a talk show together called John and Jen. And we get to... Uh, bat that around a little bit and kind of go through the headlines and see what's going on. So I kind of reviewed some of the things we have to put into those shows. And then I jumped over to a couple files I have on my computer that are called The Bridge. That's what they're labeled. And The Bridge is a show that I did for a whole year 
from September of 20 to September of 2021 with a co-host, actually rotating co-host in Beijing, China. And it was a project that came to me from a fellow named Dan Mason, who was the CEO of uh, CBS Radio for many years. And Dan heard me getting the oil change in his wife's car in 2009. and kind of tucked my name into his hip pocket. And a few years later, I think 2013, 14, 15, somewhere in there, uh, I was doing radio for WGN here in Chicago. And I got an email or a Facebook you know, message from the, this guy, Dan Mason. I thought, well, who's this guy? And turns out he was this, as I mentioned, the CEO of CBS. They were just starting their platform called uh, Play.it, which was at the time the CBS radio platform for podcasting. They were just kind of launching all that with great fanfare. And he asked if I'd like to be a part of it. And of course, I'd like to learn this stuff. So uh, at the time, I was a studio rat, meaning I really enjoyed going into this, and I still do, going into a studio with all the slides and knobs and bells and whistles and lights and cool microphones and all that stuff. It's a, it's a great place for me, very comfortable there. And so for the year that I was with CBS, I went into WBBM Studios and did the show from there and uh, sent them off to New York. And it, it went really well. I learned a lot about this, this podcasting stuff. Well, in the meantime, they had sent me a bunch of stuff to work from home. And I thought, when would I ever work from my own studio that I have here at home? Why would I do that when I can go to a radio studio? Well, as it turns out, here I am, all these years later, doing a show from my home studio. And I got some nice equipment here. I'm not complaining. But it's just interesting how things have evolved over time. Going kind of back to the example of these guys going up the pole, there are some things that don't change. You know, the technology allows me to sit in my studio here outside of Chicago, turn on this great platform called CleanFeed that makes it sound like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm in a major studio, which I'm not. And going back to the bridge show that I did, it allowed me to talk to these folks 7,000 miles away, which we did for a year, which I thought was pretty groundbreaking stuff. So I was listening to some of that audio this morning and thinking about you know, all, all the things that I attempt to do when I get behind a microphone or when I write a book, which I haven't done for a little while. It's been a couple of years. I just don't crank them out, folks. Uh, and, but I do help other people with their work and audio work and things like that. So it just got me thinking about a lot of these things and where the impetus for me comes from to just keep doing this stuff. I'm not trained for this, meaning I didn't take classes. I didn't go to journalism school. I didn't go to broadcasting school. And I, I started trying to work my way backwards to see what kind of what is making me tick here all these years. And it occurred to me while watching a two-part PBS show on Theodore Roosevelt this past week, that that's where it started, all of this. Uh, it was a great uh, broadcast. Leonardo DiCaprio was the producer, I think, of the of the deal. Oh, you may hear a siren in the background. That's how professional the studio is this morning. I got the windows open. And um, and so the, it, it was pretty good. You know, it was, it, I like pure documentaries better than reenactment pieces. So this was a little bit of both. And they, they gentleman they had playing Theodore Roosevelt wouldn't want to try and you know pull that off I am uh, you know anybody that can act is in my opinion has, has got some talent that I do not have but it had to be a tough deal to kind of you know reinvent the 26th president but I watched this for a couple nights and once again was reminded of all the accomplishments that TR had in his lifetime and how it went all the way back for me to a book that I read when I was maybe 8, 9, 10, 11 years old somewhere in that time zone called the uh 
Childcraft. It's a series of books called Great Men and Famous Deeds. And in there, there's a story, maybe five, six pages long, about young Theodore Roosevelt growing up in New York as a sickly little boy and that he was enamored with the natural world. And uh, he had asthma so bad they thought he would die. His father used to, uh, when he would start choking or being unable to breathe, he would put him in a carriage at night and run up and down the streets of New York to get air into his lungs or pick the boy up and, and you know do all that. And he considered his dad the greatest human that had ever lived. They, they called him Greatheart, his father, Theodore Roosevelt Sr. So I, I had read all this when I was just a kid, and I read it a hundred times. There's something about this little boy overcoming the adversities to go on to do such great things stuck with me. He's not the only one, but he was the first one. And over the years, I've become a serious Ted head. And as I was watching this documentary, it just popped into my mind that, that the thing that I have come away with most in my life, and maybe there's some value in this for you as well, was of all the quotes and sayings that TR had over a lifetime, and there were many great ones, the concept of do what you can, where you are with what you have, it, it is, has become my mantra. And it's what drives me. And I think that we, depending on where you're at and how you position yourself, you know, I've been very, very fortunate to be having uh, the opportunity to sit behind a microphone for a quarter of a century and to do what I can where I am with what I have to hopefully offset the erosion and the bullshit that goes on in the world and try to cut through some of that stuff. I was out cutting the grass yesterday and a lot of things go through my head when I'm walking back and forth and, you know, cutting the grass. And one came up about a, uh, a guy who has a podcast who I'm not even going to mention his name because it's not worth naming, uh, that has made millions off peddling crap, basically. And everything from saying that what happened at Sandy Hook was fake to, you know, everything to go with politics. And this guy has a huge fan base and all he does is peddle bullshit and earns millions peddling bullshit. And while I wouldn't be able to sleep to come up with stuff like that, and at some level he must believe it, I will never trade off the fact that my job as I see it or my, my calling is to offset that stuff. That's why I say go up the down staircase in the outdoor. Make sense out of the senseless. And the absurdities of this stuff are obvious to me. So in, in some way, in a very small way, I feel a bit TR-ish with a bully pulpit of my own with this microphone and people listen wherever you listen and, and do with it what you will. The information provided here or any kind of inspiration instead of desperation is kind of the point. And it just kind of clicked me. That's what keeps me going. That's what gets me up early in the morning and keeping working on stuff all the time and different projects to bring information to the world the best way that I can that offsets the erosion of life because life is about erosion. And if we can do that while we're here, then things are better because we were here. And I think that's like a really important point. Um, I knew all, everything before I watched the, uh, the documentary about TR you could possibly want to know. And yet, it was another reminder that uh, you take the time that you're given and you live it to the fullest. Or you don't. I mean, this is really a choice. But he was driven because of how he grew up, because of his weaknesses in youth to build his body out and, and catch up with his incredible mind and energy that he set himself on a course to do whatever could be done. And Providence always moved with him. You know, I mean, the only reason he became president is because he was a Republican and the Republican Party thought he was a troublemaker. 
So they thought they would put him in the benign position of vice president because back then, a little bit like now, the VP didn't have much power, just kind of a, a billboard, right? And then McKinley is shot and dies. And who becomes president? The last person the Republican Party wanted in the White House was Teddy Roosevelt. Matter of fact, the person who coined the term White House was Teddy Roosevelt. So because of those moves and McKinley's assassination, so many good things come out of that very difficult time. You know, the creation of the national parks and and the square deal and the trust busting. And uh, I mean, it goes on and on. The list goes on and on. In the eight, nine years he was in office, depending on how you look at it, he did three lifetimes worth of work. And that has always stuck with me. And so while I'll never be the president of this country, don't want to, I thought, you know, I've been, I've been offered a couple times in my career uh, to run for office and to get into politics. Once many, many years ago when I was in Michigan, I had a call from a, a senator who said, you know, listen, you, you, you got the goods. You can talk, you can walk, you got the look, you got the presence, all that stuff. He said, you know, we could get you into office and work you right up the ladder. I, I, no, thanks. Well, what if I had the governor call you? Mm, no, thanks. And the reason I said no right out of the gate is number one is I don't file any uh, particular persuasion when it comes to politics one way or the other. And while I have conservative leanings, I also have liberal leanings. And so somehow that makes me just what? A normal person. I think. So that was never going to happen. And I don't need to be involved in all that. I, the, the more of this stuff ramps up, the further away I get from it. If one, you know, we're in an election cycle and every day in the mailbox are these pamphlets and, you know, flyers. I'm like, what a waste of money in trees. They go right in the trash. At least I recycle them. But that whole concept of do what you can where you are with what you have has been the driving force for me. And it ties right into the other part of this podcast. And I'm always looking for that, meaning, as I've always said, I just don't want to turn this microphone on and, and just verbally defecate because I could or because it's Saturday and I promised I would do one every Saturday. I've got, I got to find some meaning in there for myself to sit behind this and do it. And for you, hopefully on your end, wherever you're listening at in the world, that there's value in that for you. And last Thursday night, I was back at my high school Shures in Chicago, and I was uh, representing the Bulldog Alumni Association, in which I am a proud member, graduated in 1977. Uh, never once when I walked across the stage in June of that year did I ever think I'd be back doing anything with the high school. Why would I? But here I am. So a longtime friend of mine, a, a kid I grew up with in grammar school, went to high school with, uh, we lost track for about 30 to 35 years, somewhere in there, and then reconnected and Spent the last seven plus years working on these uh, alumni events and stuff together. Phil passed away in 2020. He was a very close friend and uh, it, was, it was a real jarring shot to the jaw when he passed. Even though he'd had some health problems, I had talked to him at 7 o'clock in the morning and by 10 o'clock on Mother's Day of 2020, he was gone. And it was one of those real roundhouse rites. And uh, so to commemorate his efforts and what he did with what he had. Where he was, we created a scholarship in his name and we doled out $3,000 worth of funds to uh, deserving seniors at Shures who were going into the trade slash tech arena. And I had prepared all week. Now listen, you have to understand, I don't have any problem getting in front of people and talking. I've done it for well over 35 years. I've spoken from Toronto to Trinidad, 
from Aspen to Atlanta, from Chicago to Chattanooga. I mean, it, it, it's not a thing for me. Behind the microphone, not a thing. And then came Thursday night. And even though I was prepared mentally to do this, I was not prepared emotionally to do this. As soon as I got on the stage, and I was kind of ha- off into the wings waiting my turn to, to do this, uh, in this cavernous auditorium filled with parents and students and things, it occurred to me two things did. Number one is the first time I'd ever been behind a microphone in my life was August of 1976 on that very stage. It looked a lot different back then, but it was August of 1976. And my brother from another mother, Tim, and I were co-captains of the Schur's football team. And during break from double sessions, we went in, put on some street clothes, and spoke to the freshman class, the incoming freshman class, the freshies at freshman orientation about football. And there's a picture that I have uh, that has me at the microphone, and Tim in the background is kind of his hands in his hips, the enforcer. And I, I, that picture is just burned into my mind. I had a lot of hair back then. It was pretty interesting. So that, that kind of was rolling through my mind. And then the second thing that rolled through my head was the last time I was on this stage, Phil was with me. He was helping to give out scholarships in 2019. And so proud for him to be able to do that. This is a guy who, who had come so far in his life uh, over the years. He'd overcome a lot. He admitted that he had overused drugs and food and alcohol. And when I first reconnected with him, after many, many decades, he, I didn't even recognize the guy. And yet, from that point on, towards the end of his life, I saw him transform back into the guy that I knew. He had lost about 120 pounds. I mean, he was just rocking it. So his death was even more difficult because he had come so far. So those two things are kind of pushing on me, not to mention the fact that we had raised a bunch of money at our, our uh, yearly event, and we were able to help kids that have no idea who the hell we are. I shook both their hands once we gave them the checks and they'll never see me again and probably wouldn't remember my name 10 minutes after it happened. So, but I got to the, to the podium and I'm standing there and the lights are on and the whole thing and Principal Rodriguez is off to the side and I started talking about briefly the Alumni Association, how all these kids, once they walk out the door, are part of Bulldog Nation and all that type of thing. And as soon as I mentioned Phil's name, I got caught. It caught in my throat, a lump in my throat that's been sitting there for two plus years. And I couldn't help but think of him being on the stage there with me, and he wasn't. And it was one of the rare times in my life in public that I've gotten caught like that. And it took me a second to recover, but I also realized that everybody was there with me because of that. They they didn't know Phil. They'd never met Phil, never seen Phil, but they felt him. They must have felt how important he was in the process of this alumni work that we do. And if it caught me, then it must have been important that, that there was value that he had in this process that allowed us to be able to give these checks out. And once I recovered, uh, I, I, you know, I finished up and it was all, all well and done. And we all went out to dinner and we're sitting at their dinner and I just keep running through my head. I'm sitting across from Tim who, who we've known each other since 1973. He is the music teacher at the high school. He's been there for 20 years. And it's like there's this plan in place. 
And it's a similar thing to me about TR. You know, you, you go through your life and you do what you can, where you are with what you have, and somehow the universe fills in the blanks for you. And you get to see yay or nay here. It's the choices we take and the chances we make that build our lives. And it's almost surreal. It's, but, but I couldn't help but think of that providence that oversees all this stuff, at least for me. This is how I feel, that there's this energy around it that you know when you're on the right track because these are the things that are falling in front of you. These are the things that you can see. And, you know, it's, um, it's humbling is what it is. I mean, radio is that way for me. I, I'm only sitting here now because in 1997, I got on the air and I said, yeah, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do something to offset the negativity, the erosion, the bullshit, all the, the, the politics and all that stuff. I'm going to do something about that in my time. I'm going to do what I can, where I am with what I have. Or you can do nothing. That's the great thing about life and choice. So it's been an interesting week and, uh, I guess the, 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 the takeaway in very short form is exactly what I've been saying probably eight, ten times now. On this day, do what you can where you are with what you have. And when you're, when you're doing that, you're so engrossed and engaged in the process, you don't have time to complain and worry about the bullshit that's going on in the world. I mean, you can, you can make room for that anytime you want, but what's the point? What good does it do? It doesn't do anything. You know, this... Uh, this thing I did with the bridge for a year was a, a huge educational piece for me. I'd have never known anybody who lived in China. I've never been to China, never thought about China much. And when the opportunity came to do this, to connect with them, I took that chance and I said yes. And so when I was listening to some of the older shows this morning, I thought about the conversations we had and the, 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 the commonality we have as people. Put the governmental stuff to the side as connecting person to person, human to human. My friend Bebe who uh, I spent the last six months with, I think, uh, more than anybody else. We, she was on with me uh, Monday through Thursday. Uh, you know, she was, she's incredibly well-read and speaks English better than I do, and she has a six-year-old daughter, and, you know, and we, we exchanged pictures and talked on and off the air and things and made a friend. Same thing with Hu Young. Hu Young is who I started the show with, and... She's one of the top broadcasters in China and just a wonderful human being. And her parents are wonderful people. And, you know, again, outside of a few cultural differences, we're all the same. And that's one of the, the driving messages of everything I've ever done. You know, when you look at those commonality points, you find that common ground, you can build off from there. And if we don't find those common points, all we see are the things that divide us. So... In all of this, uh, it, it feels a bit of a hodgepodge to me, and I, I apologize for that. There's, you know, I had a couple things I was going to drill down into and really hammer it, but that's what I'm sitting here with this morning after being up since 4.15 this morning waiting to, for the power to come on so I can make coffee, was that that's the crux of it. You know, that somehow this thing that happened Thursday night, thinking about Phil using up the last years of his life in such a productive, good way, after years of not doing that, admittedly by his own, uh, you know, conversations with him, I just high respect for that. And TR, you know, on full bore until he dropped dead at the age of 60. And so every time I wake up and I think of those guys, you know, I got, there's a TR picture 10 feet away. There's a TR bobblehead over here. There was a time that every morning I had this big eight by 10 of TR in my office when I lived in Michigan. And I would get up and literally have coffee with the president. 
And I would sit there and wonder, what would he think about the world that we live in now? How would he react to these things or not? He'd be a, a, a tree-hugging liberal these days, not a, not a Republican. Uh, too much for conservation, too much for human rights, too much for societal change. And uh, he wouldn't have given an inch. This is a guy who has survived an assassination attempt in Milwaukee, shot point blank twice in the chest. And the only thing that saved him was the folded uh, speech he had in his pocket in his eyeglass case. And then he gave an 84-minute talk while he was bleeding in the, in the auditorium. You got to like a guy like that. Got to like a guy like, at least I do. Anyway, enough of my uh, stumping for one day. I hope that, uh, uh, that you found some value in this. Again, I appreciate the, uh, the support of all of you who listen and those who um, financially support the show. And if nothing else, do what you can where you are with what you have. Be well, safe travels. Thanks for listening. Until next time, adios.